Good evening, everybody, and welcome again to another primetime podcast here at Calvary Baptist Church in Gaylord, Michigan. The original air date of this is February 6th in the year 2022, and we are going to begin a multi-week study in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth from the Old Testament. And what I would like to do at the very beginning here is give us something of an overview, and then in the weeks to follow, we'll dig in. I hope you'll enjoy this, and I'm going to ask you to pray with me as we begin. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we've been going through the studies of these books, I'm asking, Lord, that you would give us a sense of peace that your word is true and reliable. Help us to understand it. Help us, Lord, to apply it to our lives. Help us to recognize that in the places where there seems to be a language barrier for us, simply because we... We don't speak the way that people spoke 400 years ago when this translation was released. Help us, Lord, to seek to use good tools. And yet in doing so, help us to not wander down back alleys in which we use tools that for some reason or another seem to be tainted and that they are not accurately capturing what the original language would have said. Help us, Lord, to trust you in all things. And as we study this book in the weeks ahead, we're just asking you will draw us close to you and that you will be honored and that we will bring praise to you. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. And I'm going to start out by reading you a description from one of the Bible commentaries that I frequently use. So I'm going to read it pretty much word for word. I may paraphrase a few passages. But here's what it says as an introduction here. When someone says, let me tell you about my mother-in-law, we expect some kind of a negative statement or a humorous anecdote because the mother-in-law caricature has been the standard centerpiece of comedy. But in the book of Ruth, it tells a different story. Ruth loved her mother-in-law, Naomi. Ruth was recently widowed, and she really begged to stay with Naomi wherever she went even though it would mean leaving her homeland. In her heartfelt words, Ruth said, your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Essentially, that's what she said. And Naomi agreed, and Ruth traveled with her to Bethlehem. There isn't a whole lot that's said about Naomi, except that she loved and cared for Ruth. Now, obviously, Naomi's life was a powerful witness to the reality of God. And Ruth was drawn to her. And to the God she worshipped. Remember, Ruth was from Moab. She was a Moabite. But in the months that followed, God led this young Moabite widow, Ruth, to a man named Boaz, who she eventually married. And as a result, she became the great-grandmother of a famous name in the Old Testament, David. And an essential connection in the line that eventually produced the birth of the Messiah. What a profound impact that Naomi's life made on Ruth. Now, the book is also the story of God's grace in the midst of difficult circumstances. Ruth's story occurred during the time of the what was called the Judges. It was a time of real disobedience, idolatry, and violence. Even in times of deep despair, there are those who follow God and through whom God works. No matter how discouraged or mean-spirited the world might seem, there are always people who will still follow God. He will use anyone who is open to him to achieve his purposes. 
Ruth was a woman from Moab. Boaz was a descendant of Rahab, the former prostitute from Jericho. Nevertheless, their offspring continued the family line through which the Messiah would come into our world. As we read this book, we should be encouraged that God is at work in the world, and he wants to use us. He has a plan for our lives, but his plan for our lives is his plan for our lives, and sometimes our plans are not aligned with his plans. So that's kind of a broad overview of the book of Ruth, and what I would like to do is show you a short reasonably short video, about seven minutes, and it gives a more detailed overview. And this is an example of using what I call the good tools that are available to us today. Technology is an amazing thing when it works. <laughs> and what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you, and I need to give them full credit for the information. This is the creation of a, a website called The Bible Project, bibleproject.org. And they produce, among many other things, these short videos that give you an overview of the books. That video comes up here shortly. You can just listen to it. But if you're seated at a, at a computer screen or if you're watching this kind of on a, a tablet or even on your phone, the video, I think, adds a lot to it. This comes from BibleProject.org, and this is their more in-depth overview of the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, it's a brilliant work of theological art, and it invites us to reflect on the question of how God is involved in the day-to-day -day joys and hardships of our lives. There are three main characters in the book, Naomi the widow, Ruth the Moabite, and Boaz the Israelite farmer. And their story is told in four chapters that are beautifully designed. Let's just dive in and see how this all unfolds. Chapter 1 opens with this line, in the days when the judges ruled. And it reminds us of the very dark and difficult days from the book of Judges. And here we meet an Israelite family in Bethlehem, struggling to survive through a famine. And so in search of food, they move on to the land of Moab, Israel's ancient enemy. And there the father of the family dies, and the sons marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. And then the sons, they die too. And so they leave only Naomi and these new daughters-in-law. And so Naomi, she has no reason to stay anymore. And so she tells her new daughters-in-law that she's moving back home. And Naomi, she knows that the life of an unmarried foreign widow in Israel is going to be very hard. And so she compels the women to stay behind. Orpah agrees. But Ruth does not. She shows remarkable loyalty to Naomi. And she says, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your people will become my people and your God will become my God. And so the two of them return to Israel together. And the chapter concludes with Naomi changing her name to Mara, which means bitter in Hebrew. And she laments her tragic fate. Chapter 2 begins with Naomi and Ruth discussing where they're going to find food. And it just so happens to be the beginning of the barley harvest. And so Ruth goes out to look for food, and it just so happens that she ends up picking grain in the field of a man named Boaz, who just so happens to be Naomi's relative. We're told that Boaz is a man of noble character, and he notices Ruth. And so after finding out more about her story, he shows remarkable generosity to her. He makes these special provisions 
provision so that the immigrant Ruth can gather grain in his field. And in doing so, Boaz is actually obeying an explicit command of the Torah to show generosity to the immigrant and the poor. Boaz is so impressed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi, he prays for her that God will reward her for her boldness. So Ruth comes home that day, and Naomi finds out that she met Boaz, and she is thrilled. She says Boaz is their family redeemer. Now, this family redeemer thing, this was a cultural practice in Israel where if a man in the family died and he left behind a wife or children or land, it was the family redeemer's responsibility to marry that widow, to take up the land, and protect that family. So Naomi, she begins to hope that perhaps there might still be a future for her family. Chapter 3 begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan to get Boaz to notice their situation. So Ruth is going to stop wearing clothes of a grieving widow, and she's going to show signs that she's available to be married. And so Ruth goes to meet Boaz on the farm that night. And as she approaches, Boaz wakes up, and he's totally startled. And Ruth makes her intentions very clear. She asks if Boaz will redeem Naomi's family and marry her. Boaz is once again amazed by Ruth's loyalty to Naomi and her family, and he calls Ruth a woman of noble character. It's the same term used to describe the woman of Proverbs 31. So Boaz tells Ruth to wait until the next day, and he will redeem both Ruth and Naomi legally before the town elders. And so the chapter ends with Ruth returning to Naomi, and they marvel together at all of these recent events. In chapter 4, it all comes together. It turns out, at the last minute, Boaz discovers there is a family member who's closer to Naomi than he is, and he's actually eligible before him to redeem the family. But at the last second, this family member finds out that he's going to have to marry Ruth, the Moabite, and so he declines. But Boaz, remember, he knows Ruth's true character, and so he acquires the family property of Naomi, and he marries Ruth. And so just at the beginning, how Ruth was loyal to Naomi's family, so now Boaz is loyal to Naomi's family as well. The story concludes with a reversal of all of the tragedies from chapter 1. So the death of the husband and the sons is reversed as Ruth is married again and gives birth to a new son, granting joy to Naomi. And this symmetry between the opening and the closing, it's even more remarkable. So remember, the opening tragedy was followed by a great act of loyalty on the part of Ruth. And that is now matched by Boaz's act of loyalty that leads to the family's final restoration. And this symmetry, it highlights the design of the internal chapters as well. So each of the chapters begins with Naomi and Ruth making a plan for their future. And that's followed by a providential meeting between Ruth and Boaz. And each chapter concludes with Naomi and Ruth rejoicing at what's taken place. This story is beautifully designed, and that design actually connects with a really interesting feature of the story, and that's how little God is mentioned. Right, The characters talk about God a few times, but the narrator actually never once mentions God doing anything directly in the story, and that's its brilliance. Because God's providence is at work behind every scene of this story, weaving together the circumstances and choices of all these characters. So Naomi, her tragedy leads her to think that God is punishing her. But actually, the whole story is about God's mission to restore her and her family. And he's doing so through Ruth, through her boldness and loyalty, which brings healing to Naomi's life. But not without Boaz, who's a no-nonsense farmer who's full of generosity and loyalty. 
And so God uses his integrity combined with Ruth's boldness to save Naomi and her family. And so this story brilliantly explores the interplay of God's purposes and will with human decision and will. God weaves together the faithful obedience of his people to bring about his redemptive purposes in the world. And that leads to the real end of the story. The book of Ruth concludes with a genealogy showing how Boaz and Ruth's son, Oved, was the grandfather of King David, from whom came the lineage of the Messiah. And so all of a sudden, these seemingly mundane, ordinary events in this story are woven into God's grand story of redemption for the whole world. And so the book of Ruth invites us to consider how God might be at work in the very ordinary, mundane details of our lives as well. And that's what the book of Ruth is all about. So that gives you an idea of a couple of overviews of the book. I hope you enjoy that video. I find those things very helpful, but I'm somebody who's visual. And so when there's all that visual activity going on with the drawing, I find that helpful. When I give you the charts of the book, which I will probably do starting next week, where I find that chart that's the visual layout of the book, I find those things helpful too. But I know there are people who don't. There are others who just want to listen. And that's another way of learning. Remember, we learn in different ways. One of the problems is that historically, churches had most of their teaching, at least in the service itself, was in the sermon. And it was primarily just, it was the teaching form that we used to call lecture. And over the years, we've come to the conclusion that's actually the least effective way of people retaining information. Now, years ago, they did simply because that was all that they had. But now we have so many different ways, including visual learners, more audio-guided learners, learners who learn more by doing, and so many other variations. That's one reason why we change methods, but the message doesn't change. Church today doesn't look, nor should it look, exactly like it did 50 years ago. There should be certain things that clearly do not change because they are core items. But there are other things that may change because the Bible doesn't say anything about them. That's why there's a range of music. That's why there's a range of, of worship styles. Honestly, that's why there's a range of translations. But the challenge with translations, of course, is that some are better than others. So these are all things that muddy the waters and usually cause more division than they should. But when it comes to the book of Ruth, it seems like the purpose of the book is to show how three people remain strong in their character and they remain true to God even when the society around them really was collapsing. Does that sound at all familiar to the world that we live in today? God powerfully uses people who stay the course, who, who don't run and get out when something changes or when they feel like they're standing alone. I'm thinking of two, two people in this church, two women who along with one other person, one man who is now with the Lord, between their, the actions of the three of them, they saved this church from closing seven years ago. Now, there were others that were involved in that. Let's give credit where it's due. But the key people who just would not give up were those three individuals. And two of them are still with us today. God powerfully uses people who recognize that they need to adapt, but at the same time, 
recognize that they're not going to give up. They're going to trust that God has a plan for the future. So in that sense, the book of Ruth kind of applies to all of us at some point. We're reminded of the importance of persevering in faith. And that requires a certain amount of stubbornness, but at the same time, don't let the purpose of your stubbornness be your own stubbornness. Let the purpose of it be God's very clear call and God's our obedience to that call. Now, the author of the book of Ruth, it's interesting. It's not Ruth. Ruth didn't write the book of Ruth. There are some honest questions about who wrote it. It technically is unknown. Some, of his, some have suggested it was Samuel, but there's other evidence that suggests that it was written after Samuel's death. So we don't really know who wrote the book. The date is sometime after the period of Judges, so it's given the range of somewhere between 1375 to 1050 B.C. Remember, B.C., the numbers count backwards down to zero because the year 1 A.D. then starts the new counting system. Thought to be aligned with the arrival of Christ. Ironically, it's not exactly then. It's within a couple of years. But the, the calendar system, A.D., refers to in the year of our Lord, okay, and B.C. refers to before Christ. A very brief little rabbit trail is that today there is a, a new lettering system that they've been using, and um, it's somewhat troubling, and that's B.C.E. instead of B.C., and C.E. instead of A.D. C.E. meaning common era, B.C.E. meaning before common era. My trouble with it is that simply it has taken Christ out of the reference to the way we've tracked history and dates. Up to that point, the centerpiece of that was, even though they actually were a couple years off, nonetheless, the years were measured by, did this happen before the arrival of Christ or after the arrival of Christ? Why are they doing this? There are a number of reasons, but I'm sure that part of it is that they're saying, well, what about the parts of the world in which Christianity is a minority? Why should their calendar have to bear the markings of somebody who they don't believe exists? In other words, there's a certain amount of effort at inclusivism. But at the same time, there probably is also a fair amount of effort to try to deny, to deny that Jesus was anything other than just a very wise teacher, of which there were many. And so... That's one of those things that I kind of dogmatically resist, this movement towards BCE and CE. I will continue to use the terminologies of BC and AD, before Christ and Auto Domine, meaning the year of our Lord, it's Latin. The setting of the book of Ruth, really it's a dark time in the history of Israel. Basically, people lived for them to please themselves, not God. Judges 17, verses 6 deals with this. Talks about a time in which everybody did was right in their own eyes. Very brief little rabbit trail at. One of the problems with the emphasis in our society on individual liberty is that there is a strong tendency that unless that is governed by a Christian worldview and a biblical worldview, a biblical lens, individual liberty just opens the door to do exactly what they just described right there. Everybody does what's right in their own eyes. People live just to please themselves. 
Remember, we cannot have individual liberty without responsibility that comes along with that individual liberty. Key verse in the book is said to be Ruth 1.16. Essentially, Ruth replies saying, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you live, I'll live. Remember the famous passage, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. The key figures are three people, Ruth, Naomi, and then a little later, Boaz. And the places are largely speaking in Bethlehem as well as in Moab. The layout really is Ruth remains loyal to Naomi, her mother-in-law, in the first chapter. In the second chapter, Ruth um, goes to work in Boaz's field. The third chapter, Ruth follows Naomi's plan. And then in the fourth chapter, Ruth and Boaz are married. Four chapters, not long. I'm thinking that we'll try to do it in four weeks with this introduction, so that makes five weeks. But I do want to mention some overall themes. There's a theme of faithfulness. A theme of faithfulness. Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi as a daughter-in-law and a friend is a great example of loyalty. Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz are also faithful to God and his laws. Throughout the story, we see God's faithfulness to his people. Why is this important? Because Ruth's life was guided by faithfulness toward God and showed itself in loyalty toward the people she knew. To be loyal and loving in relationships. And to do that, we need to imitate God's faithfulness to us in our relationships with others. So faithfulness is a key theme. A next one, kindness. Ruth showed great kindness to Naomi. In turn, Boaz shows great kindness to Ruth, who was a woman from Moab, I might say a despised woman, as a widow. She had no money. God showed his kindness to all three of them by bringing them together for his purposes. Because just as Boaz shows his kindness by buying back land to guarantee Ruth and Naomi's inheritance, Christ has shown his kindness, dying for us to guarantee our eternal life. There's something of a pointer in the story of Ruth towards the coming Messiah. And remember, the coming Messiah, she's part of that line that will produce the birth of Christ. Another main theme, integrity. Ruth shows very high moral care by being loyal to Naomi. And she makes a clean break from her former land and from her former customs and by her hard work into the fields. Boaz shows integrity by his moral standards, his honesty, and by following through on his commitments. Another important theme, protection. We see God's care and protection over the lives of Naomi and Ruth. His control over the circumstances brings them to safety and security. He guides the minds and the activities of people to fulfill his purposes. No matter how difficult any situation is that we face, our hope remains in God. His resources are infinite. We need to believe that he can work in the life of any person or in the life and the future of any church, whether that person is a king or a stranger in a foreign land. And for the future of this church, trust in his protection and his provision. Finally, there is a theme of, of a blessing, really even prosperity, not to the point of the prosperity gospel preachers of today, but nonetheless, Ruth and Naomi come to Bethlehem as poor widows, 
but soon they're going to be prosperous through Ruth's marriage to Boaz. And remember, Ruth becomes the great-grandmother of King David, out of whom Jesus Christ will be born. Yet the greatest blessing wasn't money, wasn't even the marriage or the child. It was the quality of the love and the respect between them. So often we tend to think of blessings in terms of uh, our own prosperousness, our, uh, the things that we own. But it should be that blessing ultimately is a high-quality relationship that God makes possible for us. No matter what our, our situation, what our means might be, we can love and respect the people God's brought into our lives, seek to help them to know Christ better, to grow in their faith, and then to be ready to share that faith with others. Solitary Christianity is not an effective way to follow that when people basically say, me and my Bible, that's all I need. We need each other. And a growing church needs to need other people. It needs to have a desire to reach out. And the people who do the reaching are the people of the church. When they place that all on the pastor, that church is not going to grow. The challenges ahead for Calvary Baptist Church are somewhat based on our ability to reach out and to connect with other people. And these things are going to be true regardless of who happens to be in the pulpit and who happens to be on the trustee board. We need to trust God and his provision for the future, for all the days ahead. Just like Ruth and Naomi trusted God. These are the broad themes of the book. And in the next four weeks, we're going to work through these in these podcasts. I hope you find them helpful, and I hope that um, you'll look forward to hearing them each week. Let me close us in prayer. Lord, thank you for, for not only the good tools that you provide for us to help understand and apply some of these Old Testament books. Help us, Lord, to seek more, to seek to know you better. And thank you for the calling power of the Holy Spirit who has called us to a saving faith and who now guides us, now guides us on our walk of sanctification. May it be honoring to you and pleasing to you. May your light shine through us. May we be the church to the people in our lives. And may you open their hearts and their minds to want to come and to be a part of this church family. And may we be ready, may we be ready to look at and to face and to adapt from any things within us that are obstacles to that growth. We ask this, Lord, in your holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Drive carefully, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. God bless you all.